Josh Morgan, a.k.a. The Renovating Realtor. And I'm Gavin Townsend, longtime real estate investor with a background in education in the arts turned licensed sale professional. We're two realtors in the western New York area who love talking all things real estate. We cover a wide variety of topics with an aim to educate and entertain you. No matter your role as a buyer, seller, investor, enthusiast, or another real estate professional. You can trust that we're always going to be upfront and honest no matter what topic we're discussing. So listen up and get ready to, to get, get real. real. doing alphabet soup. There's so many things and so many letters when we get into a transaction that nobody, you know, sometimes I'm even confused about what is happening. Or there's new ones that come up. There's new ones because as humans, we love acronyms and we love to abbreviate (laughs) things because we think it's quicker. And sometimes it is, but sometimes it's really not because then you have to go along and you just have to explain the letters that you said anyways. That's right. Right. A lot of times. And and sometimes, you know, uh, you know, buyers and sellers out there, you have to remind us agents that are using these forms and terms and technologies and all these things all the time. Um, Back it up. When we say something that you don't understand. Let us know so we can break it down for you. But this is why Josh came up with this brilliant idea for the Alphabet Soup episode today, because we realize that we use these all the time, and you guys probably have some ones you've heard too, so we thought we'd break them down today. Yeah, and I really like when clients tell me to back up, because sometimes we're so caught up in just getting getting, getting them through that, right? Because it is it is a, a different market now, and we do Absolutely. have to move quickly, that sometimes we skim over some important stuff that really you need to understand. You need to understand what you're signing. Always read this stuff and always ask us. if you Ask questions if you don't understand. It's not only real estate. It's everything. It's everything. If you everything. don't understand something, yes. number one, don't sign don't it. Don't sign it. Don't sign it. And then <laughs> ask the questions. for Ask for clarification because you need to be eyes wide open in all of these things. Absolutely. And that's why I know one of my best practices is always being mindful of deadlines so that I can send those documents, many of which have these acronyms that we're to discuss today in them so that you understand things like that. And Josh has brought up on the podcast before too that remember, it's a human process in the end. We're all humans. A lot of people are touching these documents. We've talked about the vast number of people that's involved in a transaction, 12 yeah. people 12 typically, to, right? 12 to 15 people, Could lots of more. plates spinning. That's right. And, and attorneys have acronyms and all that too. So we are going to cover some basics today. And those of you out there listening, you know, throw in throw in the ones that you've got. Um, inspectors have them. Attorneys have them. Um, lenders have them. But we're going to break down some basic ones that we run into all the time as real estate sales professionals. Yeah. So this is just, it's not a comprehensive list. It's something that I just kind of threw together and I kind of broke it out into like transactional acronyms and then like investing acronyms. So some of these first transactional ones are, are ones that we use 
almost in in almost every transaction that yeah. we do and every deal that we're doing we're using these and so it's important i think that you know buyers and sellers understand these because so we don't just fly by them and they're like okay yeah exactly you're, you're the expert yeah. you're professional and that no we want you to know and we want you to understand part of our role is to be an educator so that you're stronger with every transaction you have we understand that you're pro- even if you're a first time home buyer it's probably not going to be your last gig. And so we want you to get better with every, every rodeo you have. Absolutely. And just like this podcast, this is a resource and the, we are resources. Gab and I, like she said, ed, ed, educators, I can't speak, <laughs> educators. So yeah. we really, really want to let people know what it is that's going on. But let's get into it. The first one I have is PCDS. What do we think? Property Disclosure Statement. Pro- property condition disclosure statement. Yeah, I wrote it wrong. I missed the That's letter. That's all right. <laughs> PCDS, property condition disclosure statement. And we talk about this a lot. So when we are meeting with folks that are selling their home, it, this this applies. This is a great one, Josh, because it applies to both the buyers and the sellers ultimately. Right. And everybody. It's a number one. The property condition disclosure statement is a requirement in New York State. So even if you're a FISBO, and we'll talk about that later, you've got to have a PCDS. Unless, asterisk. You have this understanding that you're going to give the buyer a credit at closing or you are in an estate. An estate, yeah. Okay. So, but anyway, the property condition disclosure statement is typically part of the intake process and the paperwork that the sales professionals help the seller complete. It goes into the listing. It talks about sort of the who, what, when, where, why, uh, any known defects in the property. And that gets posted into the listing. And so when then we as agents are representing a buyer and we're showing homes, we often go to the MLS. That's another one. We'll talk about that in a second. And we bring up the PCDS as part of our vetting the property and showing the property to our client. A lot of times clients will want to see that to know about the age of the roof, et cetera. Yeah, there's a lot of important information that's contained in that document. And I think it's important to know that we as agents can't fill that out for the seller. We can assist and help answer questions because some of the things you just have not heard. And well, if you bought your home 30 years ago and this is the first time you're putting up for sale and, and you're maybe making the a life form change, has changed since last time you did because it, it just we just had an it, update recently. It did change and we do have a change. And I think that addresses mold conditions in the property. Correct. I think that's what it's it's organic coming. growth. Yeah. Yep. And so that's a new addition <laughs> to the property condition disclosure and I think as of June early June all of the all agents have to be using that in on New board York, with the new form in New York State. Yeah. Just when we get used to all these acronyms and forms, et cetera, then things change. And that's why, you know, again, we like to put this information out there so that you understand that. Yeah, so. and that's also why we do continuing education because we have to stay abreast of this stuff. And if we use an old form, we could get in trouble. So no, we don't want to do that. We don't Woo-hoo. want anybody in hot water. Right. So yeah, per property condition disclosure statement says a lot of details about the property that is being sold. And buyers and sellers both use that to determine what's going on. Yeah. And and sometimes, you know, sellers really don't know things. Maybe it's unknown, you know. And so, and again, we mentioned, as Josh mentioned, that, you know, if you're selling a home in an estate, it's not a requirement. But you still might have some information that's helpful. But again, PCDS, Property Condition Disclosure Statement. That's number, our first introduction in our Alphabet Soup episode. What's next, Josh? Next one is (laughs) LBDPD, Lead-Based Paint Disclosure. Another huge one that we use in almost 
Every, in NYS, New in York State. State. <laughs> in, in almost every transaction we do uh, for properties built before 1978. Correct? Exactly. Um, because even if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that all the paint's been replaced, the wall's been ripped up, it's virtually a new build, there's a chance that somewhere, some way, somehow... There's lead-based paint, and it's a New York State requirement to disclose that. And typically, the way that we complete that form, unless somebody has actually done a mitigation, and right. I've seen that happen. Abatement, it's it's yeah. few and far between, but most people are saying that you, no known hazards and no reports have been done. But you'll see the lead-based paint disclosure a lot um, for, again, like anything that's been built prior to 1978, which is very prevalent in our community because we have a very aging inventory of homes around here. We do have an aging inventory. But I just had a first not too long ago as I had I submitted an offer that didn't require acknowledgement. I know. Of, and it of feels so foreign. And it was because I'm like, I'm missing something. And I'm because <laughs> we see it on everything. And it's funny, even when you're on the list area or on the buy side, you're like, Am I signing this again? And it's again, it's in the contract, and that's an adult. Yes. It's something that's very, very important in New York State. Yeah, because it's a consumer protection measure. And we people do need to be aware. Of what's going on on the property, and yep. so it's it's important we offer that. Um, you know, we give pamphlets to let people know how to deal with it, what causes it, and don't um, let kids chew on windowsills. Yeah, no chewing on windowsills. But also, more importantly, it's mostly like if you're going to redo a property or a room, you, you sanding, right? It's, yes, it's the inhalation. sanding and the airborne. It's the inhalation. It's the same with asbestos, right? Yep. Asbestos is fine unless you disturb it because it's the dust and the fibers that get in your lungs that damage your damage your breathing system. So lead-based paint disclosure, it's a must for any property built before 1978. You got it. Next on our list is EMD or earnest money deposit. A lot of times this uh, term gets interchanged with other things like just deposit or um, or escrow deposit. And basically when you're purchasing a home, yes, you're going to put in a deposit and it's to hold the contract essentially. It's a credit to you at closing. It's not money that disappears. Right. But oftentimes within um, the specified amount of time indicated on the purchase offer, you have to deliver those funds. And that is the EMD or the earnest money deposit. Yeah, typically on the contract, there's, I think, two and then two subsections, two or three subsections, right? It's either you're going to deliver it immediately, you're going to deliver it at the ladder of attorney approval, attorney or, approval or you home, got inspection. It, home inspection. Um, and sometimes that sometimes that's that'll get you. Yeah. Uh, you know, in your transaction, because if they fill it out, yeah, we're going to, you know, after the after the home inspection or the ladder of attorney approvals, um, something happens and you haven't collected that EMD, that person can walk away and there's no potential compensation to your seller for um, time wasted or dollars We could probably spent. do an entire episode on deposits actually about, you know, when you can get it back and when you can't. Yeah, it's one of those critical things that everybody gets excited about. It's just like, did we get to the deposit? We got to get the deposit because... It's kind of locking everything in. Yeah, well... It shows the seriousness. And also the other thing that... Exactly. That one right there is the seriousness of the buyer, and it's kind of what they're willing to lose or risk um, before they close that transaction. If they default on something, if they if they if they get through all the contingencies, and you show up at the um, closing table and just have cold feet and say, "Yeah, hey, I'm out of here, and I want the house." What does the seller have for all the time and commitment that we've put through? Yeah, and so you know, see particularly in this market some very stealth 
deposits that in fact look like down payments. And that's to also show the seriousness in a competitive buyer's market. It's a seller's market, but competitive for buyers to be able to get their offer to be paid attention to and be hopefully accepted. Exactly. It's all about standing out. Um, you know, it's all about standing out. And then, yeah, we said terms and conditions always, always, always. So yeah. So, you know, you put a flimsy EMD on a $400,000 house and you're up against another offer that is going to put a, you know, which is typically one to 2% of the sales price of, of, you know, the property is what the EMD is going to be. And you just put a thousand dollars on there, you know, not that thousand dollars, anything to sniff at, but you're going to walk away. But the people that put a $20,000 deposit probably aren't walking away. Right. And so properties are in our area and our value. Well, that I'm showing and selling, you know, yeah, I mean, average, we're seeing one to 5,000 is really what I, what I advise folks to, um, you know, I'm also working with a lot of first time home buyers. And so $5,000, that's a lot of money. Not everyone has it up forward and available. No, I'm not that, you know, some people aren't that flush. So that's right. That's right. (laughs) 5,000. All right. So EMD, earnest money deposit. What's our next one, Josh? Uh, Pina, Pina, not Pina. Not Pina Colada. Pina, if you like Pina Sometimes you want to have a Pina Colada during this process, but. Pina, (laughs) P-I-N-A, is property inspection, notice, and addendum. It is the result of your home inspection and what you send to the seller. Uh, notifying them of either a satisfactory, unsatisfactory, or requests as a result of your home inspection. Yeah, and it's a mouthful, and so a lot of times I, <laughs> I, I always you got to be careful how you say it. Um, but I um, often have to say property inspection notice and addendum. So this is the form we'll be completing at the conclusion of your inspection. We're gonna, if there's any repairs requests, we're going to attach that to that. Um, you didn't see a lot of these for a long time because when people are waiving home inspections, this might not be part of your process. So sellers, you may or may understand or experience this maybe if you bought or sold in a previous market. Uh, Buyers, it's coming back now, but there's a group of you out there that probably don't even know what this form is and what the process is because you probably waived a home inspection. Yeah. And so this is another sticking point for uh, in the transaction, right? It's important because this is where, you know, the, the buyer can ask for something. Um, and they haven't asked for anything other than please consider my purchase price. Right. So this, <laughs> and now is where it gets sticky. So, and so this happens in a seller's market. And so in a, and you would provide this form to the seller, re- probably anywhere from five to three to seven days, right? Yes. To, to the seller. It depends on what you've indicated. If again, this kind of points to another, um, Terms. document yeah. within the contract that where you complete the inspection that when you when the buyer intends to do a property inspection they you have to be explicit in those dates and the turnaround when you're going to do the inspection when you're going to uh, provide the results and when you're going to negotiate if any repairs so yeah. um, that's all very specified so the PINA points to that it's a critical it's a critical piece in the contract and remember at this point in time in the time frame of the transaction it's still very fragile yeah absolutely and so this is this can also be uh, a document to which some people may get insulted 
but yes, it's a okay. sticky point. It always is. And you know, it was funny. I was on a home inspection the other night and the home inspector was saying, I remember you could say, I don't like the pink living room and I want it painted. <laughs> and the seller would jump through a hoop to do that. And there'd be a laundry list of things that need to be done. That's not what we've got going on now. And yeah. you know, so, you know, Josh and I have to talk to our buyers all the time about, okay, safety and code, what we're going to be requesting. Absolutely. Let's kind of try to forecast what might come up in appraisal. There was a time when don't even think about doing an inspection because your offer's not going to be accepted. Not awesome. Not saying we agree with it, but that was the case. Um, but now that they're coming back, it's still where sellers are on the fence about, well, I don't want to get nickel and dime, especially if you did seller concessions. I'm yeah. seeing a little bit of that return now. If the seller has conceded some concessions that way, um, they're not going to be so psyched if you show up with a laundry list of things on the peanut to be, you know, yeah, to be safety, repaired. Safety and code, either or. Yeah. Either or. With you know concessions or asking for things on peanut. Yeah. Sometimes buyers, you're still going to have to do those repairs. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And just because you submit this and request it one way, doesn't mean that the seller can't come back and say yes to this, not to that. And it's there's there's you know you're still not out of the woods yet. Yeah, folks. it's round it's still two. A point round of two of negotiation. negotiation. Round two it. of negotiation. I like it. It's good. You know, it's it kind of brings a little bit of life back to stuff. But, it does. So it's that's good to see the return for that for buyers. For that's sure. the peanut. Next, we're moving to my favorite because you can be in Fisbo hell Fisbo, quickly. Fisbo, Fisbo, <laughs> Fisbo, Fisbo, Fisbo for sale by owner. So a lot of times, and why did I say Fisbo hell? Because sometimes, and it's a joke, <laughs> but um, a lot of times, and, and bless your heart, good for you. Um, anyone else, people that can sell homes that aren't licensees in the state of New York are attorneys or the seller themselves. Yep. And sometimes you're very good and astute and successful in selling your own home. That's great. But again, a lot of times sellers don't understand that they are, if they're selling their house themselves, that they're obligated to certain New York State standards of which they might not be aware of. We talked about the PCDS earlier, Property Condition Disclosure Statement. Does somebody that is not a real estate professional understand all that paperwork and things, including every acronym we're going to talk about today? No. Maybe you do. So best of luck to you. But oftentimes we're on the side of maybe representing a buyer who's purchasing a for sale by owner. Um, So you see for sale by owners not in the MLS. And I know you're just waiting with bated breath to learn what MLS means. But these are things that are going to be posted maybe in platforms like Zillow. Maybe on Craigslist and Facebook, yard sale, believe it or not, or just a sign for sale by owner. Good old signs. Somebody that wants to try in, in a hot market like this, when we have low inventory, to sell the house themselves, um, feeling that they're confident unto the task. Good for you. The other situation that this could be is through like an interfamily transfer mm-hmm. or a close friend transfer. Right. Um, like a one-time showing thing. Yep. They are leaving the area. Your friends have said, well, we like the area you live in. Let's do that. Okay. There's really not a whole lot of negotiation there. Like, hey, we're just going to replace you. Right? right. And we'll buy your house. Uh, so it's not a whole, you're not on the market type thing, you know, but that's still considered a FISBO for sale by owner. Right. Um, can we help buyers with FISBOs? Yes. Absolutely. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Uh, we always advise though that, you know, agents have to get paid somehow. So yep. uh, one time showing, you know, we have to agree to probably maybe a, some sort of commission with the sellers. Commissions are typically paid by the seller um, or in some strange 
uh, way, the buyer can pay your commission. I mean, it's uncom- yeah. it's uncommon, but if maybe it is that good of a deal and you can't get it done the other way and those people want that house and say, hey, okay, we can make this work. But yeah, we're gonna, it lends itself to creativity. Let's do, let's do this, and it still works out for you. Yep. You might find that in maybe an investor situation where they find an off-market deal and it's just so good that they're like, look, even if we paid your commission – it would we would still be okay with our analysis here. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, when agents are working a for sale by owner, they end up doing both sides of the transaction too. So you know, again, um, commission can be negotiable, all those good things, but for sale by owner or FISBO or FSBO, which is also related to a FURBO. What's Furbo. a FURBO, Josh? Not to be confused with Furby, those <laughs> early two thousands toys. Uh, FURBO, FURBO for rent by owner which is a majority of the properties that we probably see around here. So we were just talking about this, that agent uh, listings for rentals, residential rentals, are less common up here in our area. That's more of a downstate thing, I would say, where people are using Or cities, metro areas, Rochester, Buffalo, downtown. Yeah, and I just did... (laughs) I just did a search this morning for rentals within 25 miles of a certain location, and I had eight listings. Yeah, I had it, ranging from very... tw- ranging from 1250 to 34. Right or something. for residential. I mean, commercially, yeah. you're going to see more of those lease scenarios in the MLS and yep. things like that. But for furbos or for rent by owner, which 99.9 percent of the time they are, they're not something that's listed. Um, it's not usually advantageous in our area, but you are going to see it in major cities because sometimes you can and somebody, you will have an agent or a sales professional that specializes in putting people into apartments, into townhomes, et cetera. Um, it, it does happen. It just doesn't happen to us a lot here. Yeah. And I think, uh, so more commonly, the compensation for the agent might be paid by the tenant instead of the the seller or the owner, um, which adds fees and moving costs to the tenant. And actually, I think New York just changed this to where they can't charge that to the tenant. And so that's just a additional cost to investors yeah. um, if you decide to use an agent. Um, so you have to add that into your costs, yeah. um, pass along, do whatever you need to. Um, but just like other fees and things that you can't charge um, you know, tenants for, um, this is probably going to be one of those as well. And that's why we don't see it a lot here. But, yeah. Well, cause it costs, but be aware of it. It costs a lot. It's another thing. It's another yep. expense. And a lot of times people will rent things word of mouth. So there's, there's the skinny on Furbo. Mm-hmm. What's our next one, Josh? So Furbo, we're going to CMA. We hear this CMA. all the time and everybody should know what it means. CMA is a comparative market analysis. Yes. So we all kind of do this, um, you know, professionally licensed or otherwise, everybody tends to love real estate and you're looking at Zillow and, on, and Redfin and online listings and stuff. And so you've looked at the numbers and you're kind of comparing, well, my house is that, that it's square footage and this one sold for that. You're doing sort of a market analysis. Um, what you end up doing when you work with an agent is they have access to data that you, a layman typically wouldn't because we're licensees and we subscribe to the MLS. So I swear we're going to get there. You do, but it's just not as, <laughs> it's not aggregated right. as nicely. And I'm not saying you can't, it's not possible and people right. are not dummies out there and they can do it. But 
rights, there's sometimes some information that's available to agents that isn't available to the common public. And so when we meet with a um, someone that's wanting to sell, we want to preview the house, we have an idea of what the strengths and weaknesses are, any improvements you've done, the maintenance, et cetera. And then we truly can go back and run the numbers and look at comparative properties and how yours backs up to that. You know, what are the pluses and minuses of yours in comparison to those? And that's how we arrive at a range typically to present to a seller when the seller then is able to determine the list price if they are listing their home. Yeah, and we make a series of adjustments. If we find, you know, homes that are similar but missing a feature, we assign a dollar value and multiple multiply that out and so we come to like you said a range typically mm-hmm. and that's if it, I would I don't put a single number on something because that's I mean that's so difficult you can't do that and right so we provide a range we discuss it when we come to a listing price with the home with the homeowner and because um, at the end of the day the homeowner determines the list price absolutely but we want to be able to substantiate it yes and um, there's a reason why you list the way you list and you don't just it, it you mark Margaret value and we've talked about this in previous episodes and you can go back to those it takes one person to show up with a sack of cash in the middle of the night to determine the market value but when we're in a public forum and we are listing as subscribers on the MLS we have ethics to which we need to abide. And so that CMA or comparative market analysis is an important tool to arrive at a list price. Absolutely. What's our next one? C-R-E, Cree commercial real estate. This is not as common. um, But but you'll see it, you know, different agencies, the difference between, you know, what's the alternative? Residential, which is what we talk a lot about on this podcast. Um, but I also work in commercial real estate. Josh has had t- his touches with it too. That's all around us. Um, we don't focus necessarily on commercial real estate on this podcast, but CRE is something that comes up, so you should know about it. Absolutely. Next one being HOA. A lot of people know what this is. Dun, dun, dun. It might be more prevalent in, in vacation areas or things like that, but homeowners association. It's not that you don't have them in this area too. Um, HOAs are, um, that's a whole other episode in of itself. I know the episode title already. Okay. HOA's gone wild. <laughs> There's so many things. And we do actually have some HOAs. They might not be called, they might be called clubs around here and things like that, but they do simulate an HOA, a homeowner association that wherein you're um, paying fees uh, for specific benefits of the property. And so maybe uh, the HOA owns the shell of the property, but you own the contents. And then, you know, we can dive deep into this in another episode of what HOA fees cover. It depends on the HOA. It depends on their corporation documents. I mean, we can spend all day on this, but HOA is a homeowners association. And sometimes when we have a listing in this area that's part of an HOA, um, sometimes those buyers, part of the contingency of the listing, you'll see it listed in the listing, and contingency of the purchase is that that buyer needs to be vetted and approved by the HOA to be able to purchase. So that's why this is relevant in our area because we do see them HOA. Yeah, and sometimes, so these weren't as prevalent in our immediate area, right? And so uh, our immediate area, we've not seen HOAs, but they do exist, so. Oh, yeah, you'll, you'll run into them. Sometimes, like, Golden Pond is one around here, um, the HOA off of Seven Springs Road, things like yeah. that. There, yep. there are certain clubs, and they might not be called an HOA, but they have an incorporation document. They're starting to pop up more and more. You got it. In yeah. uh, tracks, housing tracks. Next yes. one that we're moving to is HUD. I think we've all heard of HUD, right? I think a lot of people do, but they don't necessarily know what it means. Housing and urban development. 
and so they hold um, a lot of a lot of homes. They they back mortgages, and they're responsible. Federal program. Yep, they're responsible for a lot of the development programs for buyers um, to ensure equitable distribution and affordability of housing. Um, so. Housing and urban development. Uh, my first house I bought was a HUD foreclosure. See, and that was so. an opportunity, and um, you know, you 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 jumped on that. So we see those HUD listings. They have different um, requirements, and there's things hoops you've got to jump through. Josh yeah. can probably talk about that. That's another great episode. Our our HUD. Um, HUD eligible. Um, yeah, it's a really listings. it's a really good opportunity for first time home buyers because HUD you are HUD foreclosures or HUD listings are listings that give home buyers uh, owner occupants advantages over uh, investors. You don't have to compete for that for a period of time, and so that really gives you um, a step up to acquire a home. You're not going above uh, against an investor that may be willing to overpay for a property just simply because they want. It. Right, exactly. Uh, so, HUD. so HUD's good to know. Now, here's the one I keep talking about. Drum we talk about roll, all the time. Please. Drum roll: <laughs> MLS or Multiple Listing Service. Yep. So that's this website that professional agents that are licensed all subscribe to, and so we have rules and ethics that we abide by. It's not just us making things up. Sometimes the general public doesn't understand that. So, And not all agents subscribe to the MLS. Most right. of us do. So when we do, we have these rules that we have to abide by. So that's why there's a certain way listings go in. There's character um, limitations. There's documentation limitations, things you can say, things you can't say. A lot of times why buyers know about this is that when we meet with you and we start talking about your home search, we set you up on auto emails that sort of peruse or uh, scan the MLS or the multiple listing service and send to you listings that meet your criteria. That's something where buyers are going to hear that right away. Sellers are going to hear about it because we are stringent to the standards of the MLS of what we can and we cannot put into a listing. You want us to go on and on and on with, you know, lots of depth of everything you've done in your home, but we can only say so much in the public remarks, for example. Yeah. And you want to leave something for, to be desired right. like, or wondered. So questions. we might back that into an attachment because the MLS allows us to do that. So there's some standardization. It keeps everybody on their toes. It's a good thing. It's standard. And then all brokers that subscribe to the MLS then have the opportunity to show and look and sell other brokerages listings. So the MLS. Yep. It aggregates all of the listing data so that we can see it and present it to you. You got it. So SFH. We hear, I don't say this a lot. No, these are never things we say in sentences. These are just things you'll see in writing. Yeah. Single family home. Yeah. Single family home. We see it a lot. And so you might have an MLS search that's derived that's SFH or single family home. It's usually kind of stuff that we're talking about agent to agent, or you'll see it on document. SFH and related to that is... Uh, MFH, a multi-family home. Again, things we'll see in text. Yes. We don't say that. That's, that's And going silly. back to the MLS, those those categories are categorized differently in the MLS. There's also a commercial um, part of the MLS. There's also lots, lands, and camps portion of the MLS. So you'll see those things. Multi-family versus single family. SFH, MFH. Now we're getting into the investing terms, and we're going to start off with NOI. Everybody, every investor wants to know what the NOI is, net operating income. 
what kind of money does this property generate? Yeah. So they want to know. Net operating income, which is after expenses, gross operating income would be before expenses. Right. Um, So it's an important term to understand. And when you get into analyzing properties, these, you use these uh, to determine ratios and investing and analyzing property is all involved with ratios. Um, So net operating income. Related to that is ROI, and we hear this in different fields all the time, but return on investment. So if I'm going to put up X amount of money for this, what can I expect annually um, my return is going to be? How much money am I going to make based on my upfront investment? Yeah, cash invested divided by uh, money put or money brought back. So, and you get a percentage, 20%, 10%, 15%. It's it's personal to the investor on what ROI is acceptable, um, but you set a criteria and anything below that, you just put in your not to buy pile. That's right. Next one we have a COC. Cash or... on cash return. Yeah. Cash on cash return is another uh, criteria or another um, ratio that you want to know. Um, basically, your what cash you bringing in, like spend uh, compared to your cash invested. Yeah, cash invested. And then another thing we have in the investing world, we hear a lot um, that people talk about capex. Yeah, capital capital expenditures, long term. It's that's like long term, uh, ma- not maintenance, but uh, you know, bringing property back up to you know standards. Right, Gutter, yeah. gutters. Flooring. Right. What are what are the Imp- things down the line? They're going to be the big ticket items that I've got to roof. Yes, to you know. to maintain, sustain, and improve the property. That's typically something you look at and amortize over years because you're using sinking funds to prepare for those improvements on the property. Uh, next, we have FCF free cash flow. Free cash flow. This can be used in any investing uh, that we see. We can use this in stocks or business analytics, or we can use it in a rental analytics as well. Uh, so free cash flow is what's left over after all expenses are paid. So this is almost kind of like owner's owner's distribution money, yes. right? What's left what over? What did I make? What's Show left me the over money. for the owners <laughs> to distribute? That's right. right. Um, and this is what we hear in, in different um, residential and commercial investing sites too, but um, FMV, fair market value. You'll hear that a lot. And you'll hear it in terms of, you know, sometimes um, FISBOs will say, you know, I just, I'm just looking for the FMV, the fair market value of my home. Well, that means you really should have hired a real estate sales professional to do the CMA, see where all this alphabet soup comes from. Yeah. But that's what we're all looking for at the end of the day. And in this market, you're seeing things going way above fair market value, depending on the price, condition, location of a residence. But um, this applies to all sorts of different types of real estate. Yeah. Fair market value in, in residential real estate, is, well, residential real estate is, is what you can... Um, what you can get out of the house, but fair market value for an investor, though, could be what you can afford to leverage. Exactly. So you're looking for fair market value so that you can maybe take out a loan against your collateral. Exactly. Um, Different uses of that and why you want to know Absolutely. That. Moving on, we're looking at GRM or gross rent multiplier. How would you describe that, Josh? <laughs> gross rent multiplier, I believe, is so your gross rents are going to be your rents multiplied by twelve months um, divided by your. Where is my cheat sheet on this one? I think it's divided by expenses of sorts. So, but yeah, it's another it's another ratio that you're looking at. Usually, you want to see it as like one and a half to two for your gross rent multiplier. 
Uh, moving on, we're looking at IRR or internal rate of return. Internal rate of return is another ratio that people look at um, to analyze analyze properties. And we can go into more detail into these in another episode. And I think it would be, I think very, be great. very, very, very yeah. fun. We just want to give you a little taste tester of what Two. we mean with all these acronyms. And we hope that you'll give us some more to investigate. I'm sure we'll come up with more. Yeah, We've absolutely. also got LOC, which is a line of credit. A lot of people kind of understand that too. We've got HELOC or home equity line of credit. More commonly referred to as a HELOC. Yep. HELOC, home equity line of credit. Um, you can use that as a homeowner and you can use it as an investor as well. And finally, we're ending it with REIT or R-E-I-T, which is a real estate investment trust. And that happens when you start like syndicating and put together funds yes. and, and selling. You've really you know, developed that portfolio. Yeah. And then these are large, large millions and millions of dollars of real estate put into one trust that, you know, many, many investors put their money into and expect a return or distribution form. It's kind of like a... It's big time, people. It's a real estate stock market is basically <laughs> what it is. So... And that's really what we've got for our alphabet soup today. We're going to break these out into some other episodes too, and we're going to really dive into some of these more investing terms. That's kind of a question I've been getting asked lately is, you know, how do you analyze a property? What's going on with this investment stuff? Right. You know, what's a good property? What's not a good property? A lot of it's individualized, but you can at least understand the concepts of it. And if you understand the concepts of it, analyzing really just becomes, you know, more standardized. You put the numbers in, it's really dry and it spits out or it spits out a return. And it either works for you or it doesn't. You're looking for a particular cap rate or not. And yeah. we'll talk about that another time too. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what we have for Alphabet Soup. If you guys have anything that you've noticed that you've seen in, in your transactions or if you have any other uh, comments or uh, questions on some of this stuff, be sure to get a hold of us. Um, either email us, reach us on social, get real estate podcast at gmail.com. For your emails, yes, drop us a line, get us some suggestions, follow us with Instagram and Facebook as well. That's Get Real Estate Podcast. Yeah, and be sure to share these episodes with your friends too. If someone's thinking about getting into investing or looking to buy or sell, um, Gavin and I are always looking to help and educate folks. So until next time, guys. We'll see you. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in with us today. We hope to see you next time. We're going to be doing this a lot more, so to be sure to leave us a review and a rating as it lets us reach more people and lets us know how we're doing. We hope you're doing well. Cheers until next time. Thank you.